1: Visit 80 to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter
3: so you want to buy a car you have figured out your budget and which car you want it makes sense for your needs plus you can afford the monthly payments insurance and annual maintenance and now it's time to get down to business and actually get those keys in your hand But figuring out how to get the best price and where to direct your research can be overwhelming. And walking into a dealership can feel a little like you're swimming in shark-infested waters while you're covered in fish guts. This is a totally normal feeling, though. According to the results of Capital One's Auto Navigator survey from 2020, only 26% of participants felt confident shopping for a car, and only 24% were sure of their negotiating abilities in the dealership. It's no wonder, given how complicated buying a car can seem. Even if you've done your research about which car you want, then there's figuring out how to finance that car. Should you always buy it outright if you have the cash? Or should you still take on car payments with a loan? Plus, let's get into car buying online, please. Start taking notes, because this is
4: Grown Up Stuff.
3: What's up, my freewheeling, joyriding, hands-at-ten-and-two friends? Welcome to another episode of Grown-Up Stuff, How to Adult, the podcast where we learn the secrets to growing up and feeling like knowledgeable adults. As always, this is Molly, and I am joined by my co-host on two wheels, the motorcycling Matt Stillo. Matt, we are back here to talk about buying a car in this «part 2,
4: as the French would say.
3: Do you want to give the Grown-Up Stuff fam a little recap on what we talked about last time?
4: Totally. In our previous episode, we talked to Jamie Page Deaton about creating a car-buying budget. And she reminded us to not forget things like insurance, regular maintenance costs, and gas. She also taught us about some of the latest safety features in cars today.
3: Backup cameras come standard, baby! (laughs) Woo-woo!
4: That's right. But there's also lane assist and sensors that can tell you when you're getting sleepy.
3: Oh, yeah. That was crazy. It scans your eye movements and tracks how tired you may be. Insane.
4: Yeah. And Jamie also dropped some knowledge on hybrids and EVs and gave us some very useful information on the average range for these types of cars. Right.
3: And honestly, I had no idea there were two different types of hybrids. So that was a real eye-opener for me. She also had some great tips for figuring out the reliability of your future car. But we don't want to tell you everything. So if you haven't gotten a chance to hear all of these gems, go back to that first part with Jamie and give it a listen.
4: As a reminder, Jamie spent 15 years as the executive editor of the U.S. News and World Report's Best Cars team, and today she is the editor-in-chief of Car Talk. But Jamie is
3: back again today for another round of Car Buying Conversations. Jamie, welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again for part two of this conversation on how to buy a car. Now, I want to cover something that we didn't get a chance to hit in part one, and I think it's important to highlight. What are the biggest misconceptions, in your opinion, that people have about buying a car?
5: The biggest misconceptions that people have when they're buying a car actually has very little to do with the car itself. It's that they have to take the financing the dealer offers them. Mm. Most people do not walk into a dealership with a loan in hand. And that is a huge, huge mistake because the dealers make money by referring people and getting people finances. So they get a kickback from the financing company or bank that they're working with and they can get a bigger kickback if they put you in a higher interest rate. So they're incentivized to kind of make you pay way more than you should for the car over time. So the number one thing, if you don't do anything else when you're buying a car, Go online, get yourself, you know, from a credit union or an online only bank. Those are the two types of businesses that tend to have the lowest rates. Go get yourself your own car loan already in hand. And then when the dealer's like, Ooh, I can take care of you with 8%, you can be like, Bam, I got 5.5 already. Beat that. <laughs> um, and that will save you. I mean, people focus so much on the price of the car or like their monthly payment that they don't look at the overall cost. And that overall cost is really driven by your interest rate. So the lower you can get it the better you're going to do and shop around for the interest rate the same way you shop around for a
4: car so i've actually heard from some people that dealers will oftentimes get you the best interest rate is that just completely not true
5: It's not completely not true, but it's better to go in with another option. Uh So even if the dealer can beat it, that's great. Go with what the dealer's offering, but just walk in there with approval for a loan where you know the interest rate and you know about what your payment's gonna be so that you just have that other option. If the dealer isn't gonna be able to match it, you'll save money. If the dealer can beat it, great, you'll save money. But either way, just make sure you've got another option. Right. Let's look
3: at when we're buying a new or used car, cash versus financing with a loan versus leasing. So this is my very, very basic understanding, and I kind of want to go through that first to see if I'm right at all. Cash, you're literally putting it all up front. Financing with a loan, kind of similar to buying a home, you're putting that 20% down, and then the loan is covering the rest of the costs, and then you're paying back that loan with interest depending on what the interest you've agreed upon. And then leasing a vehicle, I feel like it's like leasing an apartment. It's never really yours. You're paying like rent on the car for a period
5: of time. Are these right? Do I have any of these accurately? First, you're right about buying with cash. You're just handing over the cash. Okay. There will be personal finance people who will be like, hey, if your interest rate on your loan is lower than the return you could get from investing that cash, then get the loan. But I'm kind of like, that's super complicated. I would just rather But I mean, like you really have to look at interest rates at the time. If they're super low, absolutely go ahead and do that. The benefit of doing that, too, is like all your cash isn't tied up in a car. Sure. So you maintain some liquidity with the loan. You got it right. You're paying for the privilege of borrowing money for that car. You don't have to necessarily put money down, but it's a good idea. And then the loan company makes a profit by you paying interest to them. And if you don't make the payments, they're going to come take your car. So just know that. Don't love that. And then leasing, it's not quite like leasing an apartment leasing is essentially a loan but only on a portion of the value of the car Hmm. so let's say you're looking at a forty thousand dollar car if you get a loan you're financing and let's say you don't have the cash but you have a super high monthly income so you're going to go ahead and finance the entire thing well you're financing forty thousand dollars worth of car and then you know you make those payments for five years or however long and at the end you own the car um, and you can do whatever the heck you want with it With a lease though, you're only leasing a certain portion of the car's value. So if that $40,000 car, you go into the dealership and you're like, I wanna lease it. And they're like, great, we project that this car is gonna be worth $25,000 in three years if you only put 10,000 miles a year on it. So you're only financing that $15,000 difference between the 40,000 that the car is worth today and the $25,000 that they project it will be worth at the end of the lease. A lot of these rules just don't take into account the reality of the economy today for a lot of millennials and Gen Z's, mm-hmm. which is we don't have a lot of cash lying around. Yeah, So we can't do that. And we do need to shop on payment. So what this does, because you're only financing that $15,000 over three years, is it makes the monthly payment a lot lower. And so it's kind of a way to get into a car on a more affordable rate. The other thing that I really like about it is that at the end of the lease, let's say your lease terms say, all right, this car is going to be worth $25,000 at the end. But let's say like that car exploded in popularity or it's not available or, you know, there's been production issues and the car ends up being worth $30,000 at the end of the lease. You get to pocket that 5K. And a lot of people think, you know, when you lease a car, it's like renting a car. If I rent a car from the Hertz at the airport, I have to take it back to the Hertz at the airport. That's not how leasing works. You can take that car anywhere and sell it as long as what you're getting is more than the payoff amount of the lease. And so that equity that's built in, if the car is worth more than what's in the lease, like that equity, that's your money. And it's great because you can use that to roll into the next car that you're gonna purchase. The other really great part of it is, If the car's worth less, so let's say the lease says it's worth $25,000 and at the end of the lease, it's worth 20. You're not on the hook. You just get to walk away. And that's like awesome because you don't have to worry about it. Now, I will say you do have to be careful with leasing because if there's a certain number of miles that you're going to get in the lease, you know, 10 to 12 to maybe 15,000 miles a year are what's most common. And if you go over that, it is really expensive. So if you get a three-year lease at, 10,000 miles a year and you turn it in with like 40,000 miles on it. They're gonna charge you 25 cents a mile. Yikes or more.
4: Oh my god. So
5: <laughs> yikes on that. And the reason that they do that is because that value at the end of the lease is based on the mileage that the car is going to have. Mm-hmm. The thing to keep in mind though is it basically means you will always have a car payment because you lease a car and then you go get the next one and then the next one. Whereas if you either finance a car or pay for it with cash, at a certain point you're gonna own that car and your monthly cost then drops quite a bit because you own it. You're no longer making payments on it. And leasing has kind of over your lifespan. <laughs> like if you do it over and over again, it's gonna end up being more expensive than if you just bought a car and drove it into the ground. But again, a lot of people aren't in a position where they can have these super high monthly payments, super high loans, where they have thousands of dollars to put down. And so if you absolutely need a car and you can only afford you know a, a certain payment, leasing is a, a decent way to get into it. So
3: follow-up question about the leasing, to parallel with it with leasing an apartment, which I know you said isn't exact, in an apartment versus buying a home, we're not responsible for anything that breaks. Now, if we're leasing a car versus owning a car, does the dealership then pay for if anything wears down, or are we on the hook for
5: those repairs? You're on the hook for those repairs. The good news is, though, because leasing is almost exclusively for new cars. There are used car leases available. They're terrible. Don't do it. Good to know. But if you're leasing a new car, the car's only going to be at maximum three years old if you get a three-year lease. What's going to go wrong? You're going to be on the hook for maintenance, although some dealers might throw in a paid maintenance plan. Some of the manufacturers will also throw in a paid maintenance plan, depending on what incentives they're offering that day. Right. You're on the hook for repairs. But the car is only three years old, so those costs are not going to be particularly high. That makes sense.
3: If you're someone who loves driving the latest and greatest model of cars, leasing may be worth exploring. You could switch cars every three years, which is an average lease term, without needing to take out a loan. In fact, your monthly lease payments can cost up to $100 less compared to the average car loan payment. That being said, if you're in it for the long haul and you put a lot of miles on your car, maybe you're not a car lease kind of person. Credit Karma says the average mileage limit on a lease is between twelve dollars to $15,000 a year. If you go over, you could be charged anywhere from 10 to $0.25 cents a mile over that limit. So let's just 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 do some quick math. If you go over that limit by just a mere thousand miles, at 25 cents a mile, you're paying an extra $200. My friends, that's a night in a decent hotel or a round trip airfare to New Orleans.
4: I've read a little bit about getting pre-approved for a loan. Is this something that we should consider? And if so, how might we go about starting that process?
5: Yeah, you should absolutely do that. Most lenders, when you're getting pre-approved for a loan, what they do is they give you basically a pre-approval certificate. Sounds kind of weird. Um, in some cases, they will even give you basically a blank check that when you fill it out and sign it, the loan goes into effect. But you should be going and shopping around and have that loan kind of in your back pocket, that approval because that allows you then, you know, while you're at the dealership to just kind of call them up and be like, yeah, I'm going for it. But just because you're pre-approved does not mean that you are necessarily going to use that loan. Mm. Now, a very important thing to do, though, is as you're comparing kind of loan offers, make sure you do it all within a two week period because they're going to do a hard pull on your credit, which is going to knock your score down. So if you go at the beginning of the month and you get a quote from one lender, and then you go at the end of the month and get a quote from another lender, in that time, your credit score is going to go down because you had a hard pull at the beginning of the month. And that's going to get you a higher rate and just overall, you know, less favorable loan terms for the ones that you do later. So like set aside a day and go out and get approved for a bunch of loans and then take those to the dealership with you. Because again, if the dealer's like, I can get you 8% and you're like, I got 5% right here. Let me just call up the bank, pull the trigger, and get the loan going.
3: So you mentioned favorable loan terms. In your opinion, what constitutes favorable loan terms?
5: Interest rates are so high right now that <laughs> I feel like favorable loan terms do not exist. But right now, with interest rates as high as they are, there are some promotional loan terms that are around 3 to 4%. Now, like two years ago, those were sky high. Right now, that's about as good as you can do. So really look for anywhere between, you know, three and five, maybe even six percent. What you really want to avoid is there are a lot of predatory dealers out there that will get you into a car with like 25 percent interest, which at that point you might as well. Dang. Yeah, especially if you're in the military, they tend to hang out around military bases. Oh, that's Um, messed up. It's messed up. But like it's going to depend on your credit score. It's going to depend on your debt to income Ratio, Your debt utilization, like all the good stuff that everybody kind of knows about. But those favorable loan terms, like what you really want to look for is to get the shortest loan that you possibly can with the payments that you can afford. So you can get your payments lowered by going for a seven year loan um, because that spreads out the payments a lot longer but you're going to have a really hard time building equity in the car. So you're going to be in that upside down situation like we talked about. Mm -hmm. But if you can do a loan, if you can handle the payments for like three years, you're going to be golden because then you'll have the car that'll have probably another five to 10 years of life left after that, if you maintain it well and take good care of it. And you'll have that five to 10 years without a car payment. Now, I still recommend you make a car payment, but make it to yourself Because guess what? Then when it's time to buy a car again, you have a huge amount of cash and you're ready to go. As a reminder, being upside down on
3: a car loan happens when your car is worth less than the value of your loan. Jamie gave the example last episode of the depreciation that happens the second you drive your car off the lot. So let's say you borrowed $20,000 to buy your car, and after driving away from the dealership, its actual value dropped down to $15,000. You're now upside down on your loan. And if your car is totaled before you make up that difference, the insurance company is only going to cover the value of your car and not the full amount owed on your loan.
4: We've talked a little bit about favorable loan terms and that people with good credit can expect to see somewhere between like a 3 to 6% interest rate. Uh, and an interest rate of like 14 to 25% is something that it should absolutely be avoided. But it's got me thinking about those with less than perfect credit. What range of interest rates um, might they expect to see on a loan?
5: Yeah. Keeping in mind that I'm not a bank, 7 to 12%. <laughs> wow, You can, I think, do a little bit better. If you live in an area that has a local credit union, you can generally get better rates from credit unions and that credit union is going to take kind of more of a personal look at your financial setup. Whereas like Bank of America is going to run you through an algorithm and be like, this is the best we can do Mm -hmm. with a credit union. They might be able to take a little bit more of a holistic view of you. So even if your credit score isn't great, but you have a history of on-time payments, they might be willing to take more of a risk.
4: It's a great incentive for our audience to keep, you know, working on bumping up their credit score. But also, it's good to know that there are options out there for people um, with a less than perfect credit score. So, in our research for this episode, uh, we found a survey conducted by Cox Automotive and Auto Trader that the digital age has transformed the car buying experience. With eighty-six percent of car shoppers in the U.S. using the internet for car research, and fifty-six percent of car buyers just saying that they would be open to full-on purchasing a car online. Like, given the shift in the emergence of online-only businesses like Carvana, like Vroom, what really are the pros and cons of purchasing a car completely online versus purchasing one in a dealership?
5: So... I mean, the pros are you can be really antisocial and do it without, like, putting pants on. If you hate people and hate
3: pants, we've got a car situation for you. Carvana,
5: for people who hate pants. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just way more convenient. The other thing that is a huge benefit of it is they have nationwide inventory. Oh, So, like, if the car that you want isn't available near you, they can bring it to you. Whereas, you know, your dealer is going to be like, sorry, sad trombone. Um, (laughs) Most of the online car buying places give you a a return period of like, I think it's like five days or maybe 300 miles, which is nice because you haven't had a chance necessarily to test drive that car or even inspect it because right now, you know, Carvana and Vroom, they're just used cars and you're not gonna be able to get it inspected. So if you're gonna go that route, the day they drop that car off, take it to a mechanic for an inspection while you're still within that return period. So if it's a bad car, you can get rid of it. The advantage of a dealer is that you're gonna have somebody who can generally just walk you through the car, all the features. You're gonna be able to test drive it. And then you're gonna have you know a place to go for maintenance if it's a new car. But generally speaking, you can kind of put your hands together and combine both of those things with like CarMax, um, big used car dealer. But just in general now, It's really nice because you're not confined to the cars that are just in your area. And you have a really good view of what those cars are worth, what a reasonable price is. So you can go, um, a site that I really like is Car Gurus. It was founded by one of the guys that founded um, TripAdvisor. And so they have a huge number of used car listings, and they've got an algorithm that's based on location and features and mileage and condition that'll tell you if that price is a good price or not. So that is one really, really helpful thing. There are, there are a bunch of other sites that do similar things, or you can just kind of do your own little piece of analysis and say, okay, well, this seems a little bit overpriced considering there's two more over here. You know, same cars, same mileage, and they're a couple thousand dollars less. If you're looking for a new car, dealers hate this one secret. Um, (laughs) There's a company called TrueCar and you can go and get a guaranteed price certificate from True Car. So you don't have to negotiate, which is another nice thing to have in your back pocket because if you get to the dealer and you're like, I'm going to try negotiating and you're like, then after 15 minutes, you're like, this is going terribly. I'm just going to whip out <laughs> this price coupon and make them honor that. Now you do have to go to a participating dealer with True Car, but it's an option if you don't want to negotiate. But really the best way to buy a car just kind of depends on you. If you're somebody who wants to go negotiate at a dealer and touch everything Thing before you buy it, go do that. If you're somebody who doesn't want to talk to anybody, go to Carvana. If you want to have a mix of the two, go to CarMax.
3: In March of 2021, ABC News reported that nearly 30% of new car sales in 2020 happened online. And the majority of people who bought cars online, they're feeling pretty good about it. Based on a survey conducted in January of 2022 by Progressive, 78% of people who bought a car online in the previous two years said they found the experience quote, highly satisfying. And many experts are predicting the trend will continue to grow. But if you're not quite ready to make the leap online, as Jamie mentioned, CarMax could be a good in-between option. While CarMax has brick and mortar locations that allow customers to purchase a car in person, they also have the option of buying online. Plus, if you decide to shop in person and they don't have the specific car you want, they can ship it to you. While most traditional dealerships are limited to selling you only what they have in stock at their specific location.
4: So the last segment that we want to get through is all just talking about dealerships because um, you do have to be social and you do have to wear pants and you just need a little bit extra I refuse, Matt. I refuse
3: to wear pants.
4: (laughs) Before walking in there. So let's say that we found the the exact model of the car that we want to buy. What are some final considerations to make before walking into a dealership? And what advice do you have for the moment that we do walk in?
5: Okay, well, first... I mean, not wearing pants could be a viable negotiation tactic. (laughs) But the main thing, the moment you walk into a dealership, and I think everybody forgets this, you're allowed to walk out. Mm -hmm. They will sit you down and they will kind of try and tire you out, but you're allowed to leave. They're not cops right? You're allowed to leave. <laughs> At any moment, you can stand up and say, you know what? This isn't working for me. And I admit it's really hard to do because you feel like you're violating about 50 social norms, but you're absolutely free to go elsewhere. There are tons of car dealers around. You don't have to work with that one. And even though you might have your heart set on a particular make and model, guess what? They made more of those. So <laughs> you know, no car is a one-off. Well, no car that anybody's actually buying is a one-off. So just know that you can walk out and you'll have other options. The other thing to remember is it's a business negotiation. It's not personal. And the dealer is treating it as a business negotiation most people are at a little bit of a disadvantage because buying a car is highly emotional, right? I need this to get to work. Like I need this Mm -hmm. and I like this and I want this. It's weird because cars are essentially appliances that we tie our identities to. Whereas nobody's like, I love my toaster so much I work on it on weekends. And like, (laughs) you know, I'm a Black and Decker man till I die. Like nobody does that with their toaster, but they do with their cars. And so there's some emotionality. I mean, people name their cars. Mm-hmm. You're immediately at a disadvantage because a dealer's coming at it as a business and you're coming at it with some emotion tied up. So as best as you can, channel your internal Mr. Spock and go into it as a business negotiation, which means that before you even get there, like we talked about, have that loan, know your absolute ceiling that you can go for in terms of price and in terms of payment, and then really treat it like I am a robot and I'm going to negotiate on this like a robot. And if they aren't giving me what I need and what I feel like I should get, I'm going to walk out. And that's totally okay. So just say, hey, you know what? I appreciate your time. I don't think we're going to get to a resolution here. If things change, feel free to give me a call, but I'm going to go someplace else.
3: We'll be right back with more grown-up stuff, how to adult after a quick break.
0: 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
2: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more.
6: And we're back with more grown-up stuff, How to
3: Adults. Is there a best time to buy a car?
5: Yeah, the best time to buy a car was like three years ago. Uh, (laughs) I I, I hate to tell everybody everybody that. A (laughs) DeLorean, you got it. (laughs) Get your time machine together. (laughs) So I would say the best time to buy a car other than three years ago is when you're ready financially um, and you've worked everything out. Great point. But you can occasionally... Get deals towards the end of the month because dealers have incentives, you know, bonuses they get if they sell a certain number of whatevers at the end of the month. So, if they're a couple cars shy, they're gonna maybe be willing to have some flexibility there. The time where you're gonna get the biggest discount, though, and this is awesome, is the week between Christmas and New Year's. Now, to be clear, you're not gonna get like half off or anything like that, but you are gonna get a slightly better deal. And by slightly, I mean maybe you're saving, you know, two to three thousand dollars. I will say, though especially since, you know, 2020, automakers have gotten a lot better at managing their supply of cars. So it's not like they have a huge overflow of cars. In fact, in a lot of cases, if you're looking at a new car, you may have to wait while the thing's built and gets to you. But if there's a car that a dealer is overstocked on and like, you're like, hey, my needs are pretty general and I don't really care what I drive. That's what you want to target, particularly if it's a model that's not particularly popular where you live. November,
3: December was always the time of year where my dad would buy his convertible. And keep in mind, my dad lives in Chicago, folks. So not a whole lot of people in the market for a convertible in November, December in Chicago.
5: (laughs) And that's the thing. If you want to get the best deal, swim upstream, go against the market.
3: The fall months can be a great time to get a deal on last year's inventory as next year's latest models start to arrive at local dealerships. Additionally, if you're not worried about having the absolute newest model of car, MarketWatch recommends scoring a deal on previous models around the time a car maker comes out with major design changes. This is called the end of car design cycle.
4: We've been talking a lot about value. So like we'll walk in, we'll know the true value of the car that we're trying to trade in, the true value of the car that we want to buy. But once we're like at a dealership, like a lot of other numbers will kind of be floated in our direction like MSRP, invoice price, sticker price, fair purchase price. You know, what are all these numbers if you could break it down and like how do they relate to the amount we will have paid, you know, once we walk off the lot or drive off, hopefully. <laughs> so
5: MSRP is the manufacturer suggested retail price. That is like, say you're going to a Chevy dealership, that's how much Chevy thinks you should pay for that car. Mm. The sticker price is that plus whatever add-ons the dealer feels like they can get away with. And keep in mind, they might act like these add-ons are mandatory. And some of them will, like, if it's a particularly strong market and they know they're not going to have trouble selling that car, they will make them mandatory. So like, undercarriage coating, nitrogen. And then even sometimes, like we've seen dealers put just like a market fee where it's basically like, we're going to charge you 10 grand more because we know we can. Mm. So that will get you to the sticker price. Invoice price is what the dealer paid for Mm. the car. So where you have that negotiation window is between the sticker price and the invoice price. And that's where you have the wiggle room. Keeping in mind, like the dealer is a business. The dealer has overhead. The dealer needs to make profit. Mm -hmm. So no, you're not going to get invoice pricing on a car because that would be no profit for the dealer. Mm -hmm. But as close as you can get to that is going to be pretty decent. But again, like the current car market, new or used, is pretty constrained. There's a lot of demand. And so, you know, again, it depends on the model, depends on your kind of micro market that you're in, but you're not going to get like close to invoice price. The best you can get is maybe midway between invoice and sticker. And in some cases, if it's a super popular car, congratulations, you're going to pay sticker.
4: You mentioned these dealer installed options. Is there any reason why we like should be wary of them?
5: They're just upcharges of stuff that you don't really need. They're weighed for the dealer to like make you feel good about them charging you more money because they'll be like, oh yeah, man, you need nitrogen in your tires. No, you don't. (laughs) The other thing is like, my favorite question is they're always like, well, we really recommend the undercarriage coating. And I'll be like, are you telling me Toyota let this out of the factory without the correct coating on the undercarriage? And then they'll kind of be like, no, you don't need it. (laughs) But they're trying to sell you that stuff and that's totally fine. But like what you wanna do is basically say to the dealer, like, I don't need that stuff. So what can you do by cutting all that stuff out? What are the signs that we should just walk away? High pressure. If they're like, what is it going to take to get you in this baby today? Like that kind of thing. (laughs) If they're like, no, 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 you can't leave. Anytime where you're just feeling uncomfortable, like I will go to a dealership, you know, for buying a car, I'll go with my husband. They only talk to him. Congratulations. You're not getting my business.
3: Yeah, that's messed up. I hate that.
5: I can't stand that. And then don't walk in and say, I already have a loan and I already have, you know, a value for my trade-in. See what they offer first. And if what they're offering is so far out of left field, you know they're going to be trying to take advantage of you. The other thing, and this kind of goes back with leasing, there is interest charged on a lease. It's called a money factor. You have to convert it into an interest rate. But when they come back with the money factor on a lease, if you're thinking about leasing, convert it to an interest rate and make sure it's fair. Because there was one time I was like, I'm going to lease this car. And I had really good credit and then I converted the money factor into an interest rate and they were trying to charge me 24% interest. And I was like, no, Whoa. thank you. Goodbye. Holy cow. yeah. Yeah, so it's just have that information in your back pocket, you don't need to share it, but use it as a barometer of if you're being treated okay. And if they come in close or under, great, you found a really good dealer. Mm-hmm. The other thing, if you have friends or family in an area that have had a good relationship with a particular dealer, new or used cars, especially a particular salesperson, going in and being like, hey, My friend, Mike, bought a car from you, said you're really good to work with. That salesperson then knows that like, hey, they get a significant amount of business from word of mouth. Like that's a good source of leads for them. So they want to treat you right.
4: What is a pre-purchase inspection and should we get one?
5: A pre-purchase inspection is before you buy a car, it's you taking it to a mechanic that you choose to have a look-see at it. And, you know, see if the mechanic can find any issues that are currently or that it might be a risk later. Don't need to do it with a new car. I would even say you don't need to do it with a certified pre-owned car, although if you really feel like it, you can. But this is basically you spending, you know, maybe 100 bucks up front to know if you're going to have problems down the line. A lot of places really don't like you to do this. <laughs> So what you, this is why, like, if you buy from like a Carvana or a CarMax and you've got that return period, do it immediately during the return period. If a place is willing to let you test drive by yourself, go take it to the mechanic. <laughs> ah. Test drive Really quickly, like have that appointment set um, when you have your test drive appointment. A lot of the times you can't always get it, but there are things that you can look for even if you are not a mechanic. So kind of a little bit of a red flag, but I guess I'm gonna call it an orange flag for me, is if I'm looking at a used car and the dealer knows that I'm gonna come test drive it, if they've pulled it around front. And the reason I don't like them to do that is because I won't be able to see all the leaks it might have (laughs) sitting while it's parked. So if you're looking at a used car, you don't necessarily wanna give them a heads up, but what you do wanna do is get under that car and see if anything's leaking the other thing that you really have to worry about especially as there's like flooding in california and we're in like end days types of weather is like flooded cars you do not want a flooded car those are actually not that hard to spot if the carpeting doesn't match if it smells musty if you open the hood and there's a bunch of like leaves and debris in the engine bay or a lot of times you know if you open the cargo area And you pull a carpet up a little bit, like you can sometimes see a water line for how deep the car was flooded. And you want to stay the heck away from flooded cars. They will never be right. The other thing you can do is pull a Carfax of the car that will at least catch some of the accidents that have been, you know, if it's been reported to insurance. And then even ask, like, if you're at a used car dealership, like, hey, what's the return period on this? And some places, depending on the policy, will give you 24 hours. Great take it to the mechanic in that 24 hours and make sure there are no issues that are going to really kind of bust your budget.
4: Real quick, you mentioned certified pre-owned. Is that different than used? Yes.
5: A certified pre-owned car is basically a used car that the automaker has taken in and inspected. And usually, the certified pre owned cars are cars coming off of leases. So they tend to be three, you know, about three years old. They'll be like, we have a billion point inspection. It just means they're going to be inspected. And generally, why you would want to go for one of these is it'll have better warranty coverage than just your plain old average used car because the dealer or the car maker is standing behind that car more fully. But know that you're going to pay more for that peace of mind. They tend to be more expensive than used cars.
4: So we talked a little bit about extended warranties. And this is maybe a two-part question, really, like, is it ever a good idea to get one of those? And also, like, there are all kinds of things that are going to be thrown at you, you know, when you're finally signing the paper. Like, is there a way to make sure that, like, we're not getting, like, scammed on, like, closing costs of a car? Yeah.
5: So, um, like, the extended warranty, first of all, if you're buying a new car, you don't need it because you'll have the manufacturer warranty. And even on some used cars, the manufacturer's warranty may be transferable to a certain degree. So mm. for example, if you're buying a Kia, Kia has a great 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty, and I know I sound like a Kia <laughs> ad, a portion of that is transferable to the second owner. So oh, wow, look for transferable warranties. That's always good. But if you're looking at a really old car that's had more than one owner, you're gonna be in extended warranty territory. And what you wanna think about is, would I rather pay this every month or would I rather save the money for when the surprise repair comes up? So it kind of depends on your peace of mind or how you like to manage your money. But know that not everything's going to be covered under your extended warranty. So really read that fine print and make sure that what's likely to go wrong with this car is going to be covered by this extended warranty. Also look at how you could void the warranty and then don't do those things. So in a lot of cases, you know, if you're not getting regular oil changes, that voids the warranty. Right. So the closing costs and stuff, um, if you've come in with a loan from the bank, you should already know what those are. And you'll have options there as well. The closing costs are not going to be huge like they are for like a house where they're just thousands of dollars. These loans are so much smaller that you don't have that. What you might get surprised with are taxes and registration fees. So you should look up what the car sales tax in your state is and factor that into your budget. You can roll that into your loan. Same with the registration cost. Usually dealers will charge you like a paperwork fee of like a hundred bucks, and that's them dealing with the DMV, so you don't have to deal with the DMV. I think it's totally worth it. I would pay so much money not to deal with the DMV. <laughs> and no too, if you're at a dealership, even if you've brought your own loan, they're gonna have you go in and see the finance person, and it's just gonna be part of their process. Be nice to the finance person. It is their job to offer you all these things. They can't get out of it. So don't be mm-hmm. like, just don't even offer them because I'm going to say no, because they're going to be like, no, I have to. So just <laughs> let them go through and just be like, no, thanks. No, thanks. No, thanks. Like do as many different no thanks voices as you can, <laughs> because they have to do Make it a game. That. Just kind of tolerate it and then move on and enjoy your new or new to you car.
4: Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. So speaking of the DMV, are there any things that we need to consider if we're buying a car like in a different state than the one that we live in?
5: Yes. So some states will have reciprocal agreements, which means that you'd only have to pay the sales tax once and the registration fees once. Other states don't. Mm. So for example, like I live in the DC area, I can buy from a Maryland dealer and only pay the Maryland sales tax um, and they'll help me register the car in Virginia, which is great. If I were to go to Florida, it would be a lot more complicated and I would have to basically pay to register the car in Florida so I can drive away with it. And then pay to register it in Virginia. So that Ugh. can get real expensive real quick. Generally, if the states touch each other, they're gonna have those types of like reciprocal agreements and the dealer will be able to help you out and you'll save a little bit of money. But if you wanna go like four or five states away, you should really be saving a lot on the price of the car to maybe make up for what you're gonna have to spend in time and registration fees once you finally get it home. Mm-hmm.
4: And then lastly, are there any blind spots we may have missed or I love upon thoughts? that. I love upon <laughs> that you'd like to um leave our listeners with. Just
5: I mean, do your research before you go in and know that you can leave. You don't have to stay at the dealer and feel free to walk away from a deal that just doesn't feel good based on the research that you've done. I love that. Jamie,
3: you mentioned people love their cars and they name their cars. Does your car have a name?
5: My car does have a name. <laughs> My car is named Higgins, <gasps> after Higgins from Ted Lasso. I love it. So that, and then um, my husband's car is named Money Penny after the character from James Bond. Yes. So yeah, we always name our cars. I will say, we had this one like BMW we were leasing, and we did not name it because we were like, this car has no personality, and we're not keeping <laughs> it. It's not a member of the family. <laughs> um, but all the other cars, it's fun to name your car, and then you can talk to your car while you're yes. in your car. So yes. yeah. Personify your car.
4: By asking this question, did you not name your car?
5: I think I did have a name for it, but this
3: is also... You're asking me to, like, remember a name from, like, <laughs> 12 years ago. Well,
4: I remember my car's name from high school. What was yours? I was very into the office at the time. And uh, when I got into the car for the first time, it had a very Jan from the office feel. So the car's name was Jan.
3: I do have a friend who just named her white BMW Blanche. She's like, it's a real Blanche Devereaux vibe from her. Yeah. yeah.
5: A white BMW would have kind of a Blanche Devereaux drive, right? I think so. Yeah. You meet the car, the car tells you what its vibe is. Exactly.
3: This has been so, so incredibly helpful. So much information, Jamie. And we're going to have you come back to talk to us about car care as well. So folks, look out because there's more Jamie to come. Thank you so much, Jamie.
5: Thank you so much for having me.
3: I want to thank Jamie again for all of the information she has shared with us about car buying. She is truly a bottomless well of car knowledge, and we are going to have her join us again later this year to tell us how to take care of our cars and what we need to know and do to keep them in working order. But here's what I've learned from her today about car buying. There are a few different ways that you can actually purchase a car. You can buy it outright in cash, you can finance it with a loan, or you can lease a car. Even if you have all of the money to buy a car outright in cash, there may be still some reasons why you want to take out a car loan get all of your pre-approvals for loans out of the way at once. When they pre-approve you for a loan, they do a hard pull on your credit and that will impact your credit score. So if you start the process to get pre-approved for one lending institution and then wait until later to get others, that first credit pull will impact what lenders see. And if you apply for a pre-approval later on, this could change what they offer you as a result. Getting pre-approved does not mean you have to go with that loan. It's always important to have it so that you know how it compares to the loan terms the dealership offers. And remember, the finance person at the dealership has to tell you what they have to offer. Buying online can be pretty great. You don't have to wear real pants and you don't have to leave your home or talk to real people. But make sure that you know what you're getting and that you have time to return the car if it's not what you expected. Get your car inspected the second you get it. And take Jamie's recommendations for spotting a flooded car and avoid them at all costs. Negotiations are just business. They're not personal. Remove emotions from the deal and don't be afraid to walk away. Most importantly, don't let anyone pressure you into something that you're not comfortable with. That's all for today's episode and a wrap on car buying. Okay, Matt, what's up next?
4: Well, Molly, we're in October and with Halloween right around the corner, there are few things scarier than choosing the right health insurance plan. (laughs) So we're going to talk about how to make sure you've selected the right plan for you before the window for 2024 closes.
3: I find this time of year more stressful than tax season personally and scarier. I think I want a PPO, but I really have no idea.
4: Not a clue, but we'll find out for sure in two weeks on the next episode of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult.
3: And remember, you might not be graded in life, but it never hurts to do your homework. This is a production from Ruby Studios from iHeartMedia.
4: Our executive producers are Molly Sosha
3: and Matt Stillo. This episode was engineered by Matt Stillo and written
4: by Molly Sosha.
3: Our fact checker is Casby Bias
4: with additional editing by Sierra Spreen.
3: We want to thank our teammates at Ruby Studios, including Ethan Fixel, Rachel Swan Krasnoff, Amber Smith, Deborah Garrett, and Andy Kelly.
0: Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury.